Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to Wellness with Sinalia. Today, we continue reading of success through positive mental attitude. We are on chapter three. Chapter three. Clear the cobwebs from your thinking. You are what you think. But what do you think? How orderly are your thoughts processes? How straight is your thinking? And how clean are your thoughts? There are certain mental cobwebs that clutter up the thinking of almost everyone, even the most brilliant minds. Negative feelings, emotions, passions, habits, beliefs, and prejudices, our thoughts become entangled in those webs. Sometimes we have undesirable habits and we want to correct them. And there are times when we struggle, tempted to do wrong, then like an insect caught in a spider's web, we struggle to get free. Our conscious will is in conflict with our imagination and the will of our subconscious mind. The more we struggle, the more we become entrapped. Some persons give up and experience the mental conflict of a living hell. Others learn how to tap and use the powers of the subconscious through the conscious mind. They are victorious, and success through a positive mind attitude teaches you how to tap and use those powers. An insect may not be able to avoid being caught in the spider's web, and when one's trapped, it is unable to free itself. There is one thing, however, over which each person has absolute inherent control and that is his mental attitude we can avoid mental cobwebs we can clear them and we can sweep them away as they begin to develop we can free ourselves when once in mesh and we can remain free you do this by accurate thinking with pma Accurate thinking is one of the 17 success principles revealed in success through a positive mental attitude. To think accurately, you must use reason. The science of reasoning or accurate thinking is called logic. One can learn it from books written specifically on this subject, such as the art of clear thinking. Your most announced listener. Introduction to logic. And the art of straight thinking. Those books can be of immense practical help. But we don't act from reason alone. An action based on common sense is the result of more than just reason. 
It depends upon habit of thoughts and action, intuitions, experiences, and other influences such as tendency and environment. One of the cobwebs of our thinking is to assume that we act from reason alone, when in reality, every conscious act is the result of doing what we want to do. We make decisions. There is a tendency when reasoning to draw conclusions favorable to the strong inner urges of our subconscious mind. And this tendency exists in everyone, even the great thinkers and philosophers. In 31 BC, a Greek philosopher who lived in a city on the Aegean Sea wanted to go to Carthage. He was a teacher of logic, therefore he contemplated reasons in favor of making the voyage and reasons against it for every reason as to why he should go he found that there were many more reasons why he should not of course he would be sick sick the boat was so small that a storm might jeopardize his life Pirates with swift sailing vessel were lying in wait of tripolite to prey upon merchant vessels. If this ship were captured by them, they would take his worldly goods and sell him into slavery. This question indicates that he should not make the trip, but he did. Why? because he wanted to. It so happens that emotion and reason should be in balance in everyone's life. Neither should always hold the consoling hand. So, sometimes it is good to do what you want to do instead of what reasons fears. As to this philosopher, he had a most pleasant journey and arrived back home safely. Then there was Socrates, the great Athenian philosopher, who lived from 470 BC to 399 BC. He was gone down in history as one of the outstanding thinkers of our all time. Wise as Socrates was, there were cobwebs in his thinking too. As a young man, Socrates fell in love with Xanthip. She was very beautiful. He was not good looking, but he was persuasive. Persuasive individuals seem to have the ability to get what they want. Socrates was successful in persuading Xanthip to marry him. Are you seeing only the moat in the other fellow's eyes? After the honeymoon was over, things did not go along so well at his house. His wife began to see his fault 
and he saw hers. He was motivated by egoist. He was selfish. She was always nagging him. Secret reportedly said, My aim in life is to get on well with people. I choose Zentip because I knew if I could get on well with her, I could get along with anyone. There, that is what he said. But his action disproved his words. It is questionable that he tried to get on well with more than a few. When you always try to prove to persons whom you meet that they are wrong, you repel rather than attract as Socrates did. Yet, he said that he endured Zentip nagging for his own personal self-discipline. But he would have developed real self-discipline had he tried to understand his wife and to influence her through the same consideration, attentions, and expression of love that he used in persuading her to marry him. He did not see the beam in his own eye, but he saw the mood in Zentip's eyes. Of course, Zentip was not blameless either. Socrates and she were just like many husbands and wives living today. After their marriage, they neglect to continue to communicate their true feelings of affection, understanding, and love to each other. They neglect to continue to employ the same pleasing personalities and mental attitude that made their courtship such a happy experience. Negligence is a cobweb too. Now, Socrates did not read success through a positive mental attitude. Neither did Zantip. Had she done so, she would have known how to motivate her husband so that their home life would have been a happier one. She would have seen the beam in her eyes rather than the mood in Socrates. She would have controlled her own reaction and been sensitive to the reactions of her husband. In fact, she might have even proved the fallacy of his logic after she read chapter 5 in title and something more. And because the story of Socrates proved he saw only the mood in Zamtip's eyes, we shall tell you about another young man. He learned to see the beam in his own eye. But before we do, let's see how the habit of nagging developed. You see, when you know the cause of a problem, you can often avoid it. Or you can find your own solution to that problem if you already have it. S-I, 
Hayakawa in language, in thoughts, and action words. In order to cure what she believed to be her husband's fault, a wife may nag him. His fault gets worse. So she nags him some more. Naturally, his fault gets worse still. And she nags him even more. Governed by a fixed reaction to the problem of her husband's fault, she can meet it only one way. The longer she continues, the worse it gets. Until they are both nervous wags, their marriage is destroyed and their lives are shattered. Their lives are shattered. Now, what about the young men? It was the first evening of a PMA. Science of success class when he was asked, why are you taking this course? Because of my wife, he responded. Many of the students laughed, but not the instructor. He knew from experience that there are many unhappy homes when husband or wife sees the other's fault but not his or her own. He restored happiness to his home. It was four weeks later in a private conference that the instructor asked the student, how are you coming along with your problems? It's solved. That's wonderful. But how did you solve it? I learned when I am faced with a problem that involves misunderstandings with other persons, I must first start with myself. When I examine my own mental attitudes, I discovered that it was negative. My problem was really not with my wife after all. It was with me. In solving my problem, I found that I no longer had one with her. Very well. Now, what if Sukrat had said to himself when I am faced with a problem that involves a misunderstanding with Zentim? I must first start with myself and what would happen if you would say to yourself, when I am faced with a problem that involves a misunderstanding with another person, I must first start with myself. Would your life be a happier one? But there are many other cupboards that interfere with happiness. Oddly enough, the one that is the greatest endurance is the very tool of thoughts itself. Words. Words are symbols as S.I. Kayakawa tells us in his book. And you will find that a one word symbol 
can mean to you the sub total of a combination of innumerable ideas, concepts, and experiences. And you will also see as you continue to read success to the positive mental attitude that the subconscious intentionally communicates to the conscious mind through symbols. Through one word, you can motivate others to act. When you say to another person, you can. This is suggestion when you say to yourself, I can. You motivate yourself by self-suggestions. But more about those universal truths in the next chapter. First, let's recognize that a whole science has grown up around the important discoveries made about words and the communicating of ideas to words. The science of semantics and Hayakawa is an expert in this field. He tells us that to find out what a word really means on the lips of another person or even on your own lips is essential in the process of accurate thinking. But how does one do this? Just be specific. Start with a meeting of the mind and many needles, misunderstandings will be avoided. One word can cause an agreement. The uncle of a nine-year-old boy was visiting in the home of the boy's parents. One evening, when the father came home, the following dialogues developed. What do you think of a boy that lies? I don't think very much of him. And I know one thing certain. My son tells the truth. He told a lie today. Son, did you tell your uncle a lie? No, father. Let's clear these things up. Your uncle said you lied. You say you did not. Just exactly what did happen? He asked, turning to the uncle. Well, I told him to take his toy down to the basement. He did not do it, and he told me that he did. Son, did you take your toys to the basement? Yes, father. Son, how do you explain this? Your uncle said that you did not take your toys to the basement and you said that you did. There are several steps leading from the first floor down to the basement. About four steps down is a window. I put my toys on the windowsill. The basement is the distance between the floor and the ceiling. My toys are in the basement. The argument between the uncle and his nephew was due to the definition of one word, basement. <laughs> I will be right back. 
the boy probably knew that his uncle Min meant, but、um, he was lazy and had not wanted to run all the way downstairs. When he was faced with punishment, the boy tried to save himself by using logic to provide his point. Now, this may be intriguing, but more motivating will be the story of a young man who did not know what the most important word symbol. In any language means. And what is the most important word in any language? That word is God. Not so long ago, a student from Columbia University called the Rev. Harry Emerson, Minister Emeritus of the Riverside Church of New York City. The student had hardly gotten through the door before he said, I am an atheist. When he sat down, he repeated defiantly, I don't believe in God. Let's start with a meeting of the mind. Now, fortunately, that a first dig was also. An expert in the field of semantics. He knew from long experience that he could never really communicate with another person unless he understood exactly what that other person meant by the words of his use. He also knew that it was necessary for the other person to comprehend his meaning. So instead of taking offense at the student's brash remark, the pastor expressed a genuinely friendly interest in him and then asked, Please describe to me the God you do not believe in. The young man had to think. As everyone has to think when he is asked a question that does not cause a reflect yes or no answer. The pastor knew that the right question could sweep strong cobwebs of negative thinking out of the youth's mind. After a little while, the student began to try to describe the God he did not believe in. In so doing, he gave the minister a very clear picture of the God he rejected. Well, said the preacher, when the student had finished, if that is the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in him either. So we are both atheists. Nevertheless, he continued. We still have the universe on our hands. What do you make of it? Its formation, its meanings. Before the young man left the preacher, he discovered that he was not an atheist at all, 
but a very good Taisi did believe in God. Now, the preacher has not been thrown by the undefined use of word. In this instance, he helped sweep away the cobweb of the young man's thinking by asking him questions. The simple, clear response as to what the young man did not believe in was enough to allow a meeting of the mind. The second question direct the youth's thoughts into the proper channels, and it gave the preacher an opportunity to explain his meaning of the universal God. Frog leg taught him logic. As we have seen, the student reached two entirely different conclusions. Each was based on a different premises. Cobwebs will interfere with accurate thinking and cause you to reach a wrong conclusion when you start with a false premises. W. Clement Stone had an amusing experience with this, which he described as follows. As a boy, I enjoy eating frog leg. One day at a restaurant, I was served jumbo legs and did not like them. Then and there, I decided that I did not like large frog legs. Some years later, I was at a quality restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, and saw frog legs on the menu. My conversation with the weather was as follows. Are those small frog legs? Yes, sir. Are you sure? I don't like the, like the large ones. Yes, sir. If they're the small one, that I'll be fine for me. Yes, sir. When the waiter brought the entry, I saw that there were jumbo frog legs. I was irritated and said, those are not the small frog legs. Those are the smallest we could find, sir. The weather responded. <laughs> Rather than the unpleasant, I ate the frog legs and I enjoyed them so much that I wish they had been larger. <laughs> I learned a lesson in logic. In analyzing the matter, I realized that my conclusion about the merits of large and small frog legs had been based on the wrong premises. It was not the size of the frog legs that made them distasteful. It was the fact that the jumbo frog legs I had eaten the first time had not been fresh. I had associated my distaste for jumbo frog legs with size rather than with spoilage. Now, we see that cobwebs prevent accurate thinking. When we start with the wrong premises, 
So many persons think inaccurately when they allow all embracing word symbols to clutter up their mind with false premises. Such words are expressions as always, only, never, nothing, every, everyone, no one can, impossible either. Or are most frequently false premises, consequently, when they are so used, their logical conclusion are false. Necessity plus PME can motivate you to succeed. Now, there is one word which, when used with PME, motivates a person to honorable achievement. When used PME with enemy, it becomes the excuse for lies, deception, and fraud. Necessity is the word. Necessity is the mother of invention and the father of crime. Inviolable standards of integrity are fundamental to all worthwhile achievement and are an integral part of PMA. You will read many success stories throughout this book in which persons are motivated by necessity. And in each case, you'll find that such person achieved success without transgressing an inviolable standard of integrity. Lee Braxton is such a man. Lee Braxton of Whiteville, North Carolina, was the son of a struggling blacksmith. He was the tenth child in his family of twelve. So you might say, says Mr. Braxton, that I become acquainted with poverty early in life. By hard work, I managed to get through the sixth grade in school. I shined shoes, delivered groceries, sold newspapers, worked in a hosiery mill, mill, washed automobiles, and served as a mechanic helper. When he became a mechanic, it appeared to Lee that he had risen as far as he could go. Perhaps he had not yet developed inspirational dissatisfaction. In due course, he married, and together he and his wife screamed alone. He was used to poverty, and it now seemed to him that it was impossible for him to break the ties which held him down. Although he was poorly paid and just barely supporting his family, the Braxtons were already having a terrible time making ends meet when, to complete the picture of defeat, he lost his job. His home was about to be taken from him because he was unable to meet the mortgage payments. It seemed a hopeless situation. But Lee was a man of character. He was also a religious man, and he believed that God is always a good God. So he prayed for guidance, as if 
in answer to his prayer. He received the book, Think and Grow Rich, from a friend. This friend had lost his job and his home in the Depression, and he had been motivated to recoup his fortune after reading Think and Grow Rich. Now he was ready. He read the book again and again. He was searching for financial success. He said to himself, It seemed to me there is something I have to do. I have to add something. No book will do it for me. The first thing I must do is develop a positive mental attitude regarding my ability and my opportunities. I must certainly choose a defined a definite goal. When I do, I must aim higher than I have in the past. But I must get started. I'll begin with the first job I can find. And he looked for a job and found one. It did not pay much to start, but it was not many years after he had read Think and Grow Rich that Lee Braxton organized and became president of the First National Bank of Whiteville, was elected mayor of his city, and engaged in many successful business enterprises. You see, Lee had aimed high, in fact, very high. He had taken as his mayor purpose the goal of being rich enough to retire at the age of 50. He achieved this goal six years ahead of time, retiring from active business. With substantial wealth and a fine independent income at the age of 44. Today, Lee Braxton is leading a useful life he is devoting his entire effort to helping Oral Robert, the evangelist, in his ministry. Now, the job that he took and the investment he made in climbing from failure to success are not important here. What is important is that necessity motivates a man with PMA to action without transgressing, recognize inviolable standards, and unless men want to deceive, cheat, or steal because of necessity, honesty is inherent in PMA. Necessity, enemy, and crime. Now contrast such a man with the many thousands of persons with NMA who are imprisoned because of stealing, embezzling, or other crimes. When you ask them why they stole in the first place, their answer invariably is, I had to, and that's how they landed in prison. They allowed themselves to become dissonance because cobwebs in their thinking cause them to believe that necessity forces one to become dishonest. Some years ago, Napoleon Hill, while doing personal counseling in a prison library, 
in the federal penitentiary in Atlanta had several confidential talks with Al Capone. In one of the talks, the other inquired, how did you get started in a life of crime? Capone answered with one word, necessity. Then tears came into his eyes and he shook up. He began to tell of some of the good things he had done which the newspapers had never mentioned. Of course, those the newspapers seem insignificant compared to the evil that he attributed to his name. That unfortunate man wasted his life, destroyed his peace of mind, undermined his physical body with deadly disease and spread fear and disaster in the path he followed, all because he never learned to clear the cupboard of his thinking regarding necessity. And when Capone told of his good deeds, which he implied outside to some great degree, the wrongs he had done, he clearly indicated another cobweb which was preventing him from thinking accurately. While a man can neutralize the evil he had done by true repentance followed by a life of good deeds, Campan was not such a man. But there was such a man. He was a teenage problem child. Yet his mother never lost hope even though many of her specific prayers for him seemed unanswered. And she never lost faith regardless of her son's escapades or wrongdoing. He was a teenage problem child. This young man became an educated, intellectual, passionate, and sensual teenage problem child. He took pride in being first, even in evil. It is said that he disobeyed his parents and teachers, lied and deceived, committed pretty theft, petty theft, cheated, in gambling, indulged in alcoholic and sexual excesses. Yet, because of his mother's constant and earnest plea to him to mend his ways, he struggled to find himself even before he revealed the lowest point, even before he reached the lowest point in his moral life. Sometimes he was filled with shame, by the knowledge that men with less education were able to resist temptation, which he thought he was powerless to resist. And because he was educated, and because he was searching, he studied the Bible and other inspirational books of his day. Even so, he lost many battles with himself. And then one day, 
he won the battle that turned the tide to personal victory. This is what happened when a person kept trying. It was during a period of remorse when he was overcome with self-condemnation that he overheard a conversation in which one voice said, Take up and read. He reached for the nearest book, open it, and read. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in writing and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the last thereof. It often happens. After a person suffers serious defeat in a personal battle with himself, he may at that point be ready. His remorse can be so emotional and sensor that he is motivated to take immediate action and through perseverance make the change that keeps him on the road to a complete victory. Now, this young man was ready. And once he made his irrevocable decision, he had peace of mind. He believed that divine power would help in him overcome the sin which he had previously fought in vain. And he developed a deep spirituality. His subsequent life proved this by results. The young man devoted himself to God and the service of his fellow men. It is because of what he had been and what he became that it is considered a man who has had a most powerful influence in giving hope even to the hopeless. Augustine was his name, and he was made a saint. It is well known that the power of the Bible has been instrumental in changing even the attitude of human dearly from negative to positive. And because of the special power in this written word, they were inspired to clear the cobwebs from their thinking. Thus, they become clean in thoughts and habit. Many, like St. Augustine, have been moved to deep repentance, and like him, they have been motivated to devote their lives to the service of God and mankind. And many great evangelists claim from those ranks. Now, there are some good people of strong religious faith who also read their Bible, but say to us, don't try the interface with God, interfere with God. When we recommend other inspirational books, Cabra prevent them from trying to extract the good wherever it can be found. You don't try to interfere with God. Now those good people fear that it is sacrilegious to dare to explore the powers of the mind God has given them. 
to choose to plan and to control the future. Many books of inspiration are written to motivate the readers. The direct to direct his thoughts, control his emotion, and ordain his destiny. And they often help the reader to comprehend the truths of the Bible. This is true. For example, in such a nonfiction bestseller as The Power of Positive Thinking, in this book, Norman Vincent Peale and the voice to, to motivate the reader to better himself. To do so, he quote directly from the good book in which such people do believe. Some of the quotation Dr. Pearl uses and which it would be wise to memorize are, as he think in his heart, so is he. If thou can't believe all things are possible to him that believe it. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. According to your faith, be it unto you. Faith without words. Faith without works is dead. What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that he received them, and ye shall have them. If God be for us, who can be against us? Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. You have just seen several mental cobwebs as we have pointed them out to you. Some of these are negative feelings, emotion, and passion, habits, beliefs, and prejudices. Seen only the mold in the other fellow's eyes, argument and misunderstandings due to semantic difficulties, false conclusion resulting from false premises, all inclusive restrictive words or expression as basic or minor premises, the idea that necessary forces dishonesty unclean thoughts and habit fear that it is sacrilegious to use the power of your mind. And so, you see, there are many varieties of cobwebs, some small, some large, some weak, some strong. Yet, if you make an additional listing of your own, and then examine the strengths of each cobra closely, you will find that they are all spawned by enemy. And when you think about it for a while, you will see that the strongest cobra spawned by enemy is the cobra of inertia. Inertia causes you to do nothing. Or if you are moving in the wrong direction, keeps you from resisting or stopping. You go on and on. Ignorance 
is the result of inertia. That which seems logical to the person who is ignorant of the fact or know how may be illogical to the man who does know. When you make decision because you refuse to keep an open mind and learn the truth, that is ignorance. An enemy keeps alive and grows fat on ignorance. Eliminate it. Success through a position, mental attitude indicate clearly how you can eliminate it. The man with PMA may not know the facts or have the know-how. He may not understand, yet he recognizes the basic premise that truth is truth and is not false regardless of his lack of knowledge or understanding. He therefore endeavors to keep an open mind and to learn. He must base his conclusion on what he does know, yet be prepared to change them when he becomes more enlightening. Will you dare to clear the cobwebs from your thinking? If your answer is yes, then let pilot number three guide you as you move forward into chapter four. You will be ready to see with an open mind. You will be ready to explore the powers of your mind. And when you do, your exploration will lead you to a great discovery. But only you can make it for yourself. Pilot number three. Stir up your thoughts. Number one. You are what you think. Your thoughts are evaluated by whether your attitude is positive or negative. Take a look at yourself. Are you a good person? Evil? Healthy? Psychosomatically healed? Wealthy? Poor? If you are, then you have good thoughts. Your thoughts are evil. Your thoughts are of good health. Your think. Your thinking makes you so. Your thoughts are of riches. Your thoughts are of poverty. You have to answer that. Those are the work that you have to do on your own while listening to it. So, the second one is negative. Feelings, emotion, passion, prejudices, belief, habit. You clear those mental cobweb by turning your talisman from enemy to PMA. You can clear the mental cobweb of negative passion, emotion, feeling, tendencies, prejudices, beliefs, and habit by flipping your invisible talisman from enemy to PME. You will learn how 
as you respond to what you read in success through positive mental attitude. Fourth, when you are faced with a problem that involves a misunderstanding with other person, you must first start with yourself. Five, one word can cause an argument developing misunderstanding, generate unhappiness, and end in misery. One word with PME, when compared to the same word with NMA, bring opposite effect. One word can bring peace or war, yes or no, love or hate, integrity or dishonesty. Six, let's start with a meeting of the mind. When you brought about a meeting of the mind, the young man himself concluded that he was not an artist. He did believe in God. Frogless taught him logic when you reason by influence. Inference be certain that your mayor and minor premises are correct. Eight. Such all inclusive restrictive words as always, only, never, nothing, every, everyone, no, no one, can't, impossible, should be eliminated as premises in reasoning until you are certain that they are correct. Nine, necessity is the word. Does necessity, does necessity motivate you to high achievement through your personal honesty and integrity? Or does necessity motivate you to try to get results through deception or dishonesty? 10. A teenage problem child, you may know one, but don't give up hope. He may not become a saint, but someday he may make his world and your world a better world to live in. 11. Direct your thoughts, control your emotion, and ordain your destiny. Memorize and repeat frequently the self-motivators quote from the Bible on page 45. Learn to separate fact from fiction. Then learn the difference between important fact and unimportant fact. And then you will have your PMA working for you. Until next time. Good night.